So today, we're going to start on uh, Ecclesiology Part 2, and this is specifically uh, Module 5, Session 11, if anybody's keeping track. Module 5, Session 11, Ecclesiology 2, Church Government, and then getting started with uh, ordinances, or uh, sacraments as some call it, in some traditions. And so I have a choice this morning in looking through my notes. Um, the church government part, I think that's an important part of our lives. And uh, I'm not in a big hurry, so I think I'm going to just do that part um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first one is I'd like to have time for us to chat about it because it's a uh, church government, ironically, is the least important area of theology. In, in my mind at least, um, and the most argued point of theology. So I think it'd be worth having a discussion and taking our time. That's the first reason. Um, the second reason is that what I'm preaching this morning um, in our morning service will be a little bit more of a lightning pace. And so I don't want to do that to you twice. We'll do that once. Um, so uh, this morning you'll see what I'm talking about um, when we get into our worship service. But I think it would be great for us just to start looking at church government because it's an important issue for us. It's one that churches have clearly divided over because there's so many different forms of church government. So that's clearly a point of division and even contention. So I think it'd be good for us to just take our time. So we'll call this Module 5, Session 11, Part 1, uh, I suppose. So let's kind of start just with some introductory thoughts, um, and we'll look at some forms of church government. I won't get to those forms for a, a couple minutes here. But the form of government a church has does not make it a good church, nor does it make it a bad church. Um, scripture doesn't really use those distinctions. Scripture uses distinctions of, uh, that we could boil down to a healthy church or unhealthy church. And so, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to make church government equal good church or bad church. Um, that's not the issue. In our circles, where, where a lot of us uh, kind of run theologically, the main debate is congregational rule versus elder rule. And there's a lot of vari- variations to that, which we'll look at. But that's kind of the debate. And um, a, a lot of ink and a little bit of blood has been spilled over this particular issue. So just wh- why do we not say that church government makes it good or bad? Uh, that's a component, but it's not the singular component. Every church has leaders. Every church has followers. <clears throat> Even so-called home churches, and I'll get to that bogus movement slowly uh, in a little bit. Even them, they say, oh, we don't have leaders. But it's always the same guy saying we don't have leaders. Right? There's no such thing as a group without leaders. Um, that's, th- there's, a, there's a book called The Lord of the Flies. That's what you have when there's no leaders. <laughs> And ultimately, it becomes a bunch of spiritual children all vying for attention and for uh, for power. I know of a I know of a group in another state that's just gathering together to contemplate the possibility of. Uh, of doing a church plant together because they're, they're in a small rural area that doesn't have a Bible preaching church, a gospel preaching church. And already, they're just contemplating and already there are power struggles happening. 
And so it's, it's a setup for disaster. Every church has leaders and followers. You cannot claim that the opposite is true. So no matter the form of church government, then what you have to do is, is think about spiritual questions. Are the leaders men of character? What do we mean by that? Do they, do they exemplify what a godly leader ought to be? I, I think that's so um, often lost on us in the church. Are the leaders men of character? Are they men of godliness? Um, there are a lot of really effective leaders whose homes you cannot emulate. Um, you know, we, we would use our, our previous president, Donald Trump, as an example. Uh, great leader. You can't emulate your life after him. You can't make him an example of life. He, he's a terrible example. Um, we don't believe the president of the United States is there to be a moral example. That's another issue. But in the church, the first duty of a leader is to be an example. Not to be a great leader. That's his first duty is to be an example. You should be able to go to my wife without my knowledge and say, tell me what he's really like. You should be able to do that. Now, I've paid her off, so it's going to go okay. But that's the first, that's the first qualification is godliness. Is, is this a man? Are, the, are these a set of men, elders, deacons, whatever you want to call them in, in various um, forms of church government? Are they men who love the Lord Jesus Christ and obey his word and are, are, and are seeking their own sanctification? Are they men of sound doctrine? Who teach and equip the saints. It is amazing to me how many churches, especially as they get larger, and, and we talk about this in our leadership team all the time, that, that one of the fallacies of getting larger as a church is that leadership teams become political. Now what I mean by that is that they become representatives of various theological views in the church. Well, we need a guy who's Arminian because we got a bunch of Arminians coming now. We need a guy who's a staunch Calvinist because we got those. We need a guy who's nothing because we got a few of those and we put them all together. You know what that is? That's a recipe for disaster. No, you need leaders that understand sound doctrine, refute those who contradict. That's Titus chapter 1. And so are they men who teach and equip the saints? And this is, we haven't even gotten to labels or titles yet. This is just what leaders ought to be. How about the followers? Are the followers submissive in doing the work of the ministry that they've been equipped to do? It doesn't matter the form of church government. Are the followers doing great things? I have known of churches with what I would call a thoroughly biblical form of church government and the members are thoroughly useless because they don't do anything. And I've seen churches also that we would say their, their leadership structure is thoroughly unbiblical. It's not, it's not structured right, according to what we would say. And yet their members love the Lord Jesus Christ. They're sharing the gospel. They're discipling one another. They're mentoring one another. They're active in their church because they've taken everything they do know and they're using it. So... Again, we're not even to the point of what type of church government. Are leaders men of character, godliness, sound doctrine? Are the followers submissive doing the work of the ministry? 
I, I'm not one who enjoys doctrinal debate um, for two reasons. First of all, I'm not really quick on my feet. And by the time I'm driving home, I go, oh, yeah, I should have said this, this, and this. And so, okay, that's fine. Um, doctrinal debates are sometimes ruled by men with the biggest mouths. And so I'm happy to lose that battle if I can. Uh, but the other reason is is that, that I'm not super interested in talking to somebody who wants to be right. I'm interested in talking to people who want to learn and who want to grow. That's it to me talking to somebody who wants to uh, to convince me of something I'm never going to be convinced of is a, it's a waste of time um, and, and so doctrinal debate there are issues worth debating church government is the last one I will ever debate with anybody on um, I, when I first came to Bakersfield, I preached a sermon on church government, and a well-meaning pastor in town listened to it and sent me a like a nine-page correction on why I was wrong with this and that, and that we should do things the way his church government is, did. And I just sent him back a text. He sent me his phone number. I said, hey, let's go have lunch and, and talk about our families. And I refused to engage with him on it, because he's not going to change my mind. And I'm not going to change his mind, so let's just let it be okay. It is the last thing I'm ever going to debate with somebody. Now, if you ask me, um, can we debate the qualifications of an elder? Absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll go to the stake for that one. But what you call them, are they elders, are they pastors? Um, our, our brother Joe Divalbus has just gotten to uh, Berean Baptist Church in, uh, in Ohio. And in Columbus, Ohio, and they have a whole group of deacons there that function as elders. So what do you call them? I don't care. And, and Joe knows well enough to not go make a stink about titles. Um, what he's going to do is train men of character. So that's the last debate I'm going to ever get in. And, and let me tell you a reason. And I'll be a little bit pragmatic here just use an example. Church number one. A congregational rural church where they vote on major issues. But the pastor is a very strong leader, and he will only appoint other pastors or elders who line up with his vision for the sake of unity. That's church number one. Church number two is an elder rule church. The, the elders make all the decisions, but they still give the congregation ample opportunity to express their opinions on major decisions because they believe that you need the whole church behind things for it to be successful. Functionally, those are almost identical. They work out the same way. So it's not as important how you title things or, or what your organizational chart supposedly looks like. Now, I will get to how important we do want to make it shortly. So what are the forms of church government? And it's just uh, highlighted and summarized here on the first couple of slides. Uh, the Episcopal form. Authority resides in the office of the bishop. The bishop is distinct from the office of elder, and he is over other church officers. There is a, there is a, a distinctive um, authority that one man has over a bunch of churches. The Roman Catholic Church, they call the Pope the Bishop of Rome. That is, that's, their, that's their name for him. And he has authority over other bishops and church officials, so they hold to a, a church authority structure that's multi-tiered. You have the Eastern Orthodox version. Bishops of various regions have equal authority. That they don't have one guy that they would call their pope, but they have some sort of uh, popelets, I guess you could call them, uh, over regions. 
You have the Anglican version. The Archbishop of Canterbury is the religious head of the Church of England. The Church of England is called the Church of England because it is connected at the hip with the government. The king or queen is always considered the head of the church, um, which is fine, I guess. If you have a godly person in, in office, that's fine, I, I guess. But the Archbishop of Canterbury has no formal authority outside that jurisdiction, but he is the symbolic head of a worldwide community. Anglicans all over the world still look to the Archbishop of Canterbury as the ultimate head. Now, they don't have a pope, and they don't believe their leaders are infallible. So can you fellowship with an Anglican? You can fellowship with anybody who believes the biblical gospel, right? Um, So there's two flavors of Anglicans. They're the saved ones and the unsaved ones, just like any place else. But they're very, very Episcopal in their church government. Then you have a a slightly um, toned down version, the Presbyterian version. The authority is with the rule of assemblies of presbyters or elders, and and they have different names depending on even uh, specific countries or traditions. Every local church is governed by a body of elected elders. Uh, It's usually called the, the session. That's a common name in Presbyterian churches. Uh, There are other terms like church board. Um, I'm not a big fan. You you will rarely ever hear me use the term elder board. I like eldership better because uh, elder board connotes a board of directors, right? Um, And elders aren't to be board of directors. They are chief servants and chief teachers and, and disciple makers and so forth. But in the Presbyterian tradition, you have these groups... A group that rules the local church. But then you have groups of local churches that are governed by a higher assembly of elders uh, known as the presbytery. The, The presbyteries can be grouped into a synod and synods can nationwide join together into a general assembly. So you have uh, yet another authority structure. There's more autonomy in the local church than you would have in an Episcopal system Um, but nevertheless there's still quite a bit of uh, accountability to those above them. Specific roles in church services, though, are reserved for the ordained ministers and the pastors. They're known as the teaching elders. Um, They're sometimes called the ministers of the word and sacrament. That you have the elders who rule and you have the elders who do the work of the ministry. And that's not entirely unbiblical. We would see that distinction in 1 Timothy 5, 17, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 right in there. Um, but it's not, it's, we wouldn't see it nearly as very, very clear and distinct. Let me put it this way. In the Presbyterian system, the teaching elders or the, the pastor works for the other elders. That he is the employee of the other elders, uh, which is an ironic system because usually, uh, in, in in a lot of cases, the teaching pastor is the godliest man among their session, and he works for all the men who aren't. So that can become a really difficult uh, system. So that's the Presbyterian system. Then getting to one you're probably a little more familiar with, the congregational form. Now, this is, don't be fooled by this. This, is, uh, this covers a broad spectrum of churches. Authority resides with the local church alone. They're autonomous. They're not accountable to any other church or governing body. And so that's the main distinction is that, um, that congregational churches view themselves as completely autonomous. They, they don't, they're not accountable to anybody else. 
Um, there's a lot of advantages to that. Uh, Grace Bible Church, for example, we don't send 10% of our giving every month to somebody else to do whatever they think they ought to do with it. That's, we don't feel that's good stewardship. We use every nickel for the gospel ministry here in this ministry with the exception of supporting missionaries. Um, but they don't tell us what to do. We, we support them in what they're doing that's biblical. With Under the umbrella of congregationalism, there's a variety of uh, types. You have the no government type. That there is, there's no government since a structure like that is viewed as unspiritual. Now, where would they get this? It's not entirely unfounded. They, they see the priesthood of all believers as negating any sort of spiritual authority. That everyone has uh, spiritual authority. Um, there are variations of that variation. And one example is the home Bible study model. The home Bible study model comes under no authority. Their leadership is not tested. They're not proven. They're not sent out by a local church. People just take turns teaching. Um, Is that a necessary thing sometimes? Once in a while, it's actually necessary, practically speaking. Uh, You you find yourself, uh, for example sent by your work because apparently you made somebody above you mad and you're sent by your work to a town with 200 people in it. And there are no Bible-believing churches and there's four families that want to know the Word of God. Okay, what do you do then? Well, you do the best you can and you may end up de facto in the home Bible study model, but not because that was your choice. And at that point, what do you do? You start praying what Jesus said to pray. Pray for uh, harvesters. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. You pray for a leader to be sent. And uh, it's got to be somebody special who will come out there and basically decide to flush his, uh, his ministerial career down the drain by going to a town of 200. Okay, well, they exist and they're out there. But to do it on purpose, we would say, is probably not wise. In the New Testament, uh, believers were found in certain cities. Uh, Paul found uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. But once an apostle arrived, they always quickly organized into a church with qualified leaders and an authority structure. So the no government model, it, it might be a necessary, uh, necessary challenge up front, but it's not really, shouldn't be considered something to say that's our end goal, is to have no structure whatsoever. That almost always ends badly. Um, it ends badly in one of two ways. It either ends badly because uh, people discover that people without a leader are frustrated. Everybody desires leadership. Or it becomes, it ends badly because you have the same five families that have been meeting in the same living room for 25 years being utterly worthless for the kingdom because they haven't done anything except gather together and and kind of form their own little commune. Then under congregational, you have the single elder authority version. And by the way, we're gonna we, we will have time for some Q and A. So if you if you have questions or things you want to highlight, uh, you might write those down right now. The single elder authority congregational system. The congregation elects the elder slash pastor, whose authority can vary from church to church. In some instances, the the single elder possesses full authority. We don't see a scriptural basis for this um, at this point, but the practical reason may be that this is when a a man has been recognized and sent by a church to plant a new church work. Um, In in Crete, Titus was going around appointing elders in churches that already existed. 
So we would have called those uh, we would have called those church plants or, or churches in need of leadership. Um, a developing church. That's a good name for that situation. A developing church because they they have to start somewhere. Right, most most churches didn't start, uh, you know, blammo with 500 people and and an eldership and a building. Most don't do that. There are other unbiblical variations of single elder authority. We have, and these are my names, uh, the nepotism model. The nepotism model. Several pastors or elders are there, but they're all related to each other. Amazing how the senior pastor's son, son-in-law, and, uh, and in some cases daughter, is, they're all the leaders. Um, that's, a, that's nothing more than a family business. That's all that is. Um, we have an example of that in our own town. The, the, the largest church in our city, um, Valley Bible Fellowship, is a nepotism model. Um, you can be on the staff as long as you're related to the pastor. And so that's clearly unbiblical because it has nothing to do with qualifications. Um, and I don't mind calling that church out because they're not a legitimate church. They, they're not Trinitarian. They don't believe the biblical gospel. They are works-based. You name it. They're, they're off in left field. We have very graciously received many of their members who would like to be taught the word of God. Um, and so we're thankful for that. They become a funnel uh, for Bible teaching churches. So there's the nepotism model. You have the husband-wife co-pastor model. That, that makes me like twitch. I just can't even, I, I can't even fathom that. There's, there's no scriptural basis for it whatsoever. And it's generally not motivated by a desire to spread the gospel, but by a desire to, to build a personal empire. How many of you here, by show of hands, have seen billboards with the husband-wife pastor model up there? Yes. Have you ever seen them be ugly? No. Yes. Yeah, well, okay, there's one. There's one. But, you know, and it's, you have the billboard on one side, the husband, wife, and then the, the, the other side of the billboard is advertising the local plastic surgeon. And it's like, oh, these guys know each other, don't they? That's, that's not from a desire to spread the gospel. It's from a desire to build a personal empire every time. Um, and the sad part is, is that it was started in mega, mega churches uh, where nobody can do anything about it. Because once a church gets large enough, it gets really, really hard to remove a pastor. Um, because you, you can't gain any traction. If you're in a church of 10,000 people and you're saying, excuse me, I don't like the polity, the security team just escorts you off the campus and nobody ever knows it. Sadly, though, that model has filtered down to little bitty churches that are trying in their best, in their best uh, uh, integrity going off of models that they think are right. They're, they're using role models that are terrible. And so you have these little bitty churches with pastors so-and-so and so-and-so. We have one next door to us. And that's not out of a lack of love for the Lord. That's out of a lack of knowledge. And not knowing the word, but using bad role models. So the husband-wife co-pastor model. Um, and uh, we had to take the signs off of our own building for the co-pastors of the, uh, the, the group that was here before us. So they weren't a church, but they were a group that had the co-pastor model. And then again, you have the home Bible study model, um, where maybe this is instead of the no government, you have the home Bible study uh, model with one guy who's running the whole show. And very often that's because he can't get a regular church to recognize him as being qualified for ministry. And so he gathers two or three families that become his little following. And, you know, they're his little tiny miniature cult. And so... 
Um, none of those are, are helpful. The single single elder authority is something worth um, worth taking time on. Um, our own Joe Divalbus just went and took a church where he is the single elder. But he has a plan, and he knows what he's doing. Um, he is already in, he's already um, putting this plan in place to just very patiently. And if you know Joe, he is the most patient guy in the world. Um, he just he can slog through anything for months and years at a time. That's the way he's built. I'm not built that way. Um, when I came to Grace Bible Church, it's like we pretty much need to go this direction, or else I'm not interested. Joe's not built that way. He's just going to disciple them. Um, he's already including um, the men he sees as the godliest men in on all decisions and that's a new thing for them and and so he's just going to patiently develop them so that's a developing church and um, and so that's that's great that's tremendous you have another uh, variation elder led but with congregational authority now we get a little bit closer to the model that we've subscribed to here elders are viewed as leaders in doctrine and example and making decisions on on everyday functions in the church did I get yeah there we go um But the final authority in choosing leaders and deciding important matters, it resides with the congregation. So we would call that elder-led, not elder-ruled. So that's, that's one variation. Pure democracy, that version... All decisions are made by the congregation in a democratic manner. Uh, just out of curiosity, anybody ever been part of a pure democracy church? I have been many years ago. Yeah, that's uh, is, is that edifying to anybody? Well, there's only a couple. Of, was that edifying and, and joyful? No. Why not? You're not being recorded. <laughs> you had a, a group of people that were the popular people that were were elected in, or the ones that you know had the biggest mouth that made the decisions and they weren't necessarily biblical decisions. Right. It leads to chaos and it leads to the least mature saints having just as much say-so as the most. Do you do that in your family? Okay, three-year-old, where do you vote? Should we pay the electric bill on time or not? No, let's buy candy. Okay, we'll do it your way. (laughs) Where does that come from? It stems from forgetting that Christ is the head of the church. And that the Bible has made almost all of our decisions for us already. The Bible has not told us what color carpet and chairs to get. Because the Bible uh, tells us, have men of character who know the priority of those sorts of decisions. That they're low priority. So the pure democracy model uh, doesn't work. Um, You rarely, 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 rarely ever see a pure democracy church grow substantially. They just don't. Because just like Rebecca said, uh, you can't ever break into the popular crowd. Then you have the, uh, still under congregational rule, you have the multiple elder rule. We use the word rule because that's the word that uh, Scripture uses. Elders have final authority in all matters, including the choosing of other elders. It resides with the elders and not with the congregation. Now, there are some variations under that variation. You have no, the variation of no defined differences between elders at all, although one or more may do the teaching. This would be called the Plymouth Brethren uh, model. And Plymouth Brethren churches can be fantastic churches. They, they can be terrific churches if it's well organized. Um, however, I have a very good friend who is an elder in the Plymouth Brethren church, and he will admit that there's always one or two guys that kind of rise to the level of, of leaders among leaders. 
which would be the second variation, the leader among leaders model, um, that there's equality and authority among the elders, but one functions as the main teacher, kind of the, 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 the even if you want to use the word visionary, there's kind of a... Um, there's kind of a distinction there. And, and we hold to that model. Obviously, I'm here. He's the one spoken of in First Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So there is a, a distinction there. It's not a hard distinction. Um, we, you may call any of our elders pastor, and you may call any of our pastors elders. Um, and I'll talk about that here in a second. Um, but the leader among leaders model is what we feel like is most scriptural. If, you're, if you want to dig more deeply into this, um, kind of the, the uh, go-to resource that, that has defined this issue um, for several decades now is Alexander Strzok's book, Biblical Eldership. Um, he does a thorough analysis of what the Bible says about church leadership. And so if you want to dig deeply into it, that's kind of it. Um, but to, 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 many, to many churches, and I would say most churches, are in the camp of developing still. Um, one of the things that we developed was, the, the question is, what do you do with associate pastors? Because pastor, elder, and, and uh, uh, shepherd are all the same word in the New Testament. It's all the same office. So um, when we first got here and we hired Darren as an associate pastor, the first question I got uh, from somebody was, is he an elder or a pastor? Now, that's a good question. What our position is is that associate pastors are developing elders, that we are, we are training them, um, and uh, as they become qualified, then they become elders. And so we have two of those at this point. Here's an illustration of how that works. If you're 18 years old and you're a, you're a prodigy and you have been trained how to fly an F-16, if you're an Air Force commander, are you going to let the 18-year-old in the F-16? No, not a chance. He, he's going to watch somebody else do this for a long time. He has the head knowledge, he has the training, but he didn't have the experience. And so that's something that we, we value. For me personally, I will never recommend an elder that I haven't gotten so deeply in this guy's life. I know him inside and out, and he knows me inside and out. That's a recipe for disaster. That's just a standard that I have. Um, so the, those are some variations. Now, let me get real practical here with you, and then, and then we'll have time for some questions here um, briefly. Um, The single elder model, or rather the elder-led and congregational authority model, where elders are leaders over daily things, but they, but they go to the church to decide important matters. We don't actually, as an eldership here, consider ourselves really that much different from the elder-led model versus the elder-rule model. Um, for this very simple, practical reason. There's a saying among pastors that, that no matter your church government... Every church is a voting church. Did you know you have two votes? You vote two ways. You vote with your presence and you vote with your presence. You vote with your presence here at the church and you vote with the gifts, with the checks that you write. Or as others say it, you vote with your feet and with your checkbook. Everybody has a vote. If, if we said um, the elders have unanimously decided that we're going to build a 90-foot statue... Uh, on that back parking lot back there, and it's going to be covered in gold, and we're going to begin fundraising for that. Uh, how many of you would give to that? I don't think any of you would, right? So you just vote it. You voted with your checkbook. As of this date, we have raised 11 cents for the statue. <laughs> and that was by children. And 
So the reality is is that our elders recognize the fact that um, trying to move forward in the ministry without garnering your understanding and your support is pretty pointless. Um, it's important for you to be behind things. So while we may make a final decision, we will never do anything in a major way without um, finding input from some or all of you. Um, so practically speaking, that's a wise thing to do. It's, it's not good. You, no, no church wants to have their leadership just cramming stuff down their throats all the time. Um, once in a while, hard decisions have to be made, and, and then it's the expectation of followers to go along with that, um, but not without questions and not without an ability to give feedback and to even ask questions. So just a little side note there. So why would we hold to elder rule church government? give you a few reasons here. The church at Antioch had multiple elders. Uh, Acts 11, I think uh, 13, yeah, Acts 13 also. Paul appointed multiple elders in every church. Acts 14.23, when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now the question is, oh, wait, is that a, uh, is that the, uh, the variation where they're all the same, no defined differences, or is a leader among leaders model? Um, doesn't say, but we know that he had multiple elders. The church at Ephesus had multiple elders. Acts chapter 20, the church in Thessalonica had multiple elders. First uh, Thessalonians 5. Now, they didn't call them elders. They called them leaders. Why? Because the church at Thessalonica was only a few months old, and so Paul probably did not use that august term for the leaders yet, but he kind of took the best that they had and said, respect them. That, that's who you have. The church in Philippi had multiple elders. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 1. In fact, people get in arguments over, well, what should the structure of the church be? Philippians 1 says, to the elders and deacons. I, I don't know how much clearer you get than that. I put some other references on there as well for you. Acts 21, 18, 1 Timothy 4, 14, and so forth. You can write those down. 1 Timothy 5, 17, Titus 1, 5, 1 Peter 5, James 5, 14, Hebrews 13, 17. It's, this is very clear. So, that's the reason we're an elder rule church government. Um, I've preached on this before, and I, I don't want to belabor the point, but why do we subscribe to a leader among leaders model? Um, that's the model that Jesus used. He, he appointed Peter as a leader among leaders. He functionally used Peter, uh, James, and John as leaders among the other leaders. Um, if, you, if you were to question Paul and all of his troop that traveled with him at various times and asked who's in charge, they would say Paul. But Paul always referred to the other his ministry team as us and we. And so there was a leader among leaders there. It is not a dictatorial model, but it is a leadership model. Um, it, even in any group, nothing great happens in committee, Right. There's no such thing as a great committee. Committees are there, teams are there to carry out uh, a, a vision that's a little bit more focused. So that's why we hold to that. Um, there's another practical reason, and, and some would disagree with this. I've, I've staked my whole ministry on it, though. 
there is the model that says you should rotate preachers on a regular basis where you have, say, five guys and they do Sunday 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, uh, 1, 2, and so forth, and they rotate through. And there are some churches, even one church in town here, that, that rotates um, preaching through a whole book. And I, that is like the worst, most ineffective way that you can possibly preach through a book. Um, it has to be filtered through one mind. It has to be filtered through some consistency. Otherwise, you just end up with a, a bunch of little sermons that don't relate to each other. And so my, my hope as a, as a pastor that, and I told the elders when I first came here um, almost 10 years ago, you know, I just asked the question, do you want me to be a part-time preacher or do you want me to preach all the time? Because I'm a preach-all-the-time guy, so you need to know that up front. Um, and so they, they were good with that. But my goal personally at Grace Bible Church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and other things that I do, the retreats and so forth, my goal is always to preach 100 times a year. Because I, I think you need that consistency and that continuity. Does that mean it can't work uh, in the Plymouth Brethren model? doesn't mean that. But practically speaking, in most Plymouth Brethren churches, you've got five elders. One or two of them are still doing 90% of the preaching and teaching. That's just the way it works out. So just a comment there on that. So just to kind of finish up here, the major issue is not the type of government. Now, we want to be as biblical as we can. Um, I, I, don't, I don't cut off... Uh, uh, fellowship with a with a fellow pastor or a fellow church over church government issues. I, it just that's that's a waste of time. Uh, there's no reason to do that. We want to be as biblical as we can in how we understand Scripture because if we believe in elder rule, if we believe in the plurality of elders that are equal in authority and function in different ways, if we believe in the office of deacon and we believe in the um, the flexibility to create other leadership positions, which we're fine with doing that, then if if that's what we believe scripture says and that's what we ought to do um, rather than saying this is what scripture says but we're going to do it this way anyway um, so we always want to be as as cautious to align with scripture as we can but again the major issue is not your organizational chart that is merely a tool that reflects who does what but it does not reflect character character of the leadership submissiveness of the followership that's what makes for a good church um, I actually just started kind of uh, messing around with uh, writing a book on unity among church leaders. There's a ton of books on leadership principles for uh, individual leaders. There are very few that I've found on how leaders get along in a unified manner. Because every one of you probably have some experience in a church where when the leaders can't get along, it's just, it's like watching mom and dad scream and yell at each other. It's horrible. It's, it, it creates chaos and creates lack of continuity and, and, and it creates shame. Who wants to go to a church where you know the elders are screaming at each other behind closed doors? That's, that, that's embarrassing. You want to go to a church where the elders love one another and where they serve alongside each other. And when they disagree, they go to Scripture to resolve that and let Scripture be the authority. So that's what we want to strive for is that unity. Let me leave you with this. What do you do if you live in a country where you don't agree with the form of government? What do you do as a Christian? You submit to it, right? What do you do if you're going to a church where you don't agree with the form of government? You submit to it. 
It's not your job to, to make a bunch of waves. Um, I, I always tell guys if they say, well, I'm going to this church and it's just frustrating me because of this and that. Great. Go to the seminary and go pastor a church and do it the right way. But don't make waves in your church. Don't, don't be that guy um, that's always being a problem. So um, if I sound less than excited about church government, that's on purpose. I just We want to be godly. We want to have character. And whatever the labels are, we want to use labels that are, that are uh, appropriate from Scripture, but uh, character is everything. Plenty of churches with a theoretically right form of government that are horrible places. I wouldn't send somebody I don't like there. And plenty of churches that are still working on it that have godly, godly leaders and incredible members. And so what do you do with them? Just let them be faithful. Let them be faithful. You don't go stir that up. So... We mostly talked about church government, but I think that ecclesiology is a major, it's, it's a major concern. Uh, I, I'm always appreciative that you, you have a very short life when you think about it, right? You get 50, 60 years. Uh, well, Lois, you, you have blown all of our, uh, our statistics out of the water there. But for most of us, we'll live a normal lifespan. And the fact that you would come and you would spend your Sundays in a particular church, that, that blows me away. That I feel honored at that. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't say this that much. I'm always shocked when people show up on Sunday to hear me preach. I'm like, wow, they came back. That's amazing. So I think it's a big deal because you've all... How many of you have been here more than a year? Oh, good. Okay. So your bubble has been burst. We're not a perfect church, right? You figured that out pretty quick. Um, and so I'm glad for that. So, church government's important, but the character of the church is important. So, I know the church is important to you. You're spending a seventh of your life at Grace Bible Church, and that's, that means a lot. So, given that, let's take about 10 or 15 minutes and just answer some questions, if you have any, or comments. Um, no debates. I'm not going to debate about church government, because we're not going to change anyway, because I only have one vote. <laughs> so, I can't change it. So, uh, questions, comments.